so excited that you guys are here. Now, I often don't address scandalous rumors from the pulpit personally, but there, ha there was something that happened this weekend that I want to make sure that the community is clear of. One of the things that I am for certain moving to a smaller town, it's not a small town, but it's a smaller town, is that word gets uh, through the town really quickly. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Rumors will fly here. I remember uh, when I first came here, I think I had, I don't know, literally 120 uh, meetings the first month I was here. And I was sharing with a, a dear woman, the first, she was the first uh, person that I met with. And um, she said, Pastor, can I pray with you about anything? And I said, well, our refrigerator needs to come in and we're just praying that that works. It wasn't 30 minutes later that my third meeting of the day came in and someone said with tears in their eyes, heard about your fridge, we're praying for it right now. <laughs> I, real <laughs> I realized very quickly that we were in a different kind of town than where we came from. And so I just want to be clear about this next rumor. It is not true, okay? There was a young person at the Christmas tree lighting that went up to my, my I, want to, I have to be very careful here, but my older brother, he's not my younger brother, we're not twins, he is my very older brother. Does everyone not trying to understand? He had a beanie on, he was incognito, it was just you know, pretty crazy, but a young person came up to him and said, uh, just started talking to him as though he was Pastor Jay as pastor for almost, I don't know, 20 minutes. And then he asked my brother, are you here alone? Because I don't see Brooke. And my brother said, no, my wife is right here. And he pointed to Stacy. <laughs> and the young person then went to the youth pastor and said, did you know that Pastor Jay left his wife for another woman? <laughs> I, <laughs> this is a problem in a small town. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So how my brother identified himself was the most coldest thing in the entire world. You know what he did? He took off his beanie and showed his hair. <laughs> so wrong. It was like a triple insult to start with, man. It was just, it was just not fair on so many levels. And so uh, for record, if you in the community are watching this on live stream, I am still married to my beautiful wife, Brooke. <laughs> All is well. I am still the younger brother of Steve Smotherman. And uh, as much as it was a compliment to me, it was a backhanded compliment. Um, Steve, stand up. Just, this is my brother. Do we look anything alike? No. We sound alike. I don't know if we look alike. I mean, you look a lot better than I do. You've aged a lot better than I have. Um, we'll all admit that uh, from the pulpit, but I don't know if I need some hair growth things or take better vitamins or... All right, there you go. And that is my older brother with encouragement right there. Like, I'm not too far behind you, brother. Um, I've got some just personal hero friends of mine. Uh, DJ and Ashlyn, uh, parents are here. Pastor Robin and uh, Monica have been just an inspiration to my wife and I for decades on decades. We can remember growing up when you guys were in McKinleyville Youth Pastoring. Uh, they ran an incredible internship program that I gleaned so much just support and information from. I'm talking like... 60 and 70 kids a year internship program. And uh, they've just had an incredible time in ministry. Uh, they're back at our home church in, in Vacaville uh, doing some associate work. Dylan, who was in the youth group for a number of years, is also here, who is now the youth pastor at the church. And uh, we're so proud of Dylan. Would you guys stand up so the church can see who you guys are? Would you guys give them a big warm welcome, round of applause there? So glad that you guys are here. 
Dylan had the audacity to take over the youth group and change the name. Could you believe that? How dare him do that? That's exactly what he should have done, right? When people take over, uh, we, don't, we don't complain about what they're doing. We champion them. We fan the flame in their life. And uh, Dylan is going to do far greater things in youth ministry than my wife and I ever have. And that's the way that it should be. Uh, we believe in people and the people that God has called us to help fan the flame in their life. What a privilege that is to be able to, to be that and play that part. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. All right, good. Because we're announcing a name change today. No, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> That'd be so wrong. Like the most, that would have like set you guys up on a, on, a, on a different level. We're so excited you guys are here today. I want to just take a scripture in my introduction out of Luke chapter 2, verses 12. And then we're going to dive in to the scripture that's on the screen in just a few moments, Psalms 142.4. But I want to just preface what I'm going to say today in just a few moments. We have a wonderful story coming from a wonderful young man named DJ Moore, who I've had the privilege of of just being and living life alongside of him and then watching him go through just incredible, uh, an incredible trial and test, to say the least. That's even putting it mildly, of five years ago, uh, losing his father unexpectedly. And last week we talked about the God that heals. And I want you to know the reports of healing that have happened last week have been incredible. The God of healing. Give the Lord a big round of applause. I mean, just incredible. And uh, to even say it mildly, you know, we don't, we don't chase signs and wonders. If we're doing it right, they're chasing us. We're going after him. He's our, he's our aim. He's our goal. In the last, I don't know, year and a half since I've been here, we've seen miracles um, that really truly are miracles. They're unexplained. And we haven't, and maybe I'm doing this wrong and learning, but I haven't really wanted to point to the miracle so much as I've wanted to point to the giver of the miracle. Uh, but I do think it would be faith building for so many people in this room to actually hear some of the stories uh, that God is doing, like, like uh, curved spines going straight in the middle of worship, um, Parkinson's disease and the symptoms of it, uh, reducing and getting better and healing in Jesus' name. Just, just incredible, miraculous stories. And, and I really do believe in the area that the enemy tries to take ground in your life. If you will uh, stand on the word of God, because we believe it is the will of God for God to heal his people. Uh, that's what we believe. Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. We believe that. And my wife has fought this incredible journey, as you guys heard last week. And I believe that while she leads us in worship, um, the place where the enemy tried to take from her life, She's uh, just by her getting up here and leading worship, she's, the, the healing anointing is running through our church. And we have seen just incredible, incredible works of God's hand. And I want to be clear, it has nothing to do with us, um, nothing to do with who we are. We're not special. We're not, you know, God's special kids. We're, we're, we're all God's children. God has no grandchildren. And the same thing that's available to us is available to you. We have to root out the doubt and unbelief in our life. Nod your head if you understand what's going on there. Doubt and unbelief are really huge in the body of Christ. Like you, you are children of God. You're children of God. And, and we serve a father and we have a father who, who wants good things for his kids. And yet we've been programmed by doubt and unbelief and sin to draw from the well of our flesh rather than the well of faith. And so you guys have to know here this morning that we serve a God that heals and just doesn't want to heal. He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you this morning. And so that was our first installment last week. And today we're going to talk about the God of hope and how God uh, can bring hope to what we seemingly think are hopeless 
situations. And so I want to start in Luke chapter 2, a very popular portion of Scripture when it comes to the Christmas season. And here's what it says. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That manger, I don't know if you're aware, and I will get to this in a few moments, but the manger, the picture that we have from the American church is probably a little bit different than, than it actually was. Uh, but the manger was six things. The manger was, was, was messy. And it's a sign to us that if Jesus would come and humble himself to live in a messy spot, that there's no place that he won't go for you. And that if you find yourself in a mess today, look no further than the manger, because if he did it for the world, he didn't just do it for the world, but he did it for you. I love when you personalize scripture like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, you can put your name in there. So just so if you're new to the faith, the world doesn't mean like the trees or the, the oceans or the or the, the lakes, or, or the, the natural beauties of the world that he created, though I believe he created that and does love that, but the, the world, he's speaking to you, humanity, that for God so loved the world, so loved the world, so loved the Jason, that he gave his only begotten son. And so you have to know that the manger was dirty, and that is a sign to you that there's no place that he won't go for you. You also have to know that the manger, it was intentional. It was, it was planned. It wasn't like he squinted and didn't know the decision that he was making. Like when he viewed you in your life and all the things that were messy in your life, he didn't run from, from you, he ran to you. Come on, someone say amen if, that's, if he's talking to you in this room. Like he came directly for you. So the thing that you have been clouded in shame, um, you, you've been clouded in guilt, the past regrets of your life, Jesus saw those things and he said he wanted to come and take you out of, out of those messy situations and put you on a solid ground. The third thing that the manger was, the manger was a sign that if you find it, you will find him. And what I love about that is that he has always been reaching or looking for dirty places to make clean. Most of us as humans, when we see dirtier or, or broken places, um, we do like something like this, like, oh, that's ugly. I'm going to walk away from that. Jesus did the exact opposite. You know what he did? He, he went like this, and he stepped towards the mess. And what you guys have to know today is that you serve a God in heaven who, who is a hope giver. He's a hope dealer. That, that he doesn't look at your situation or your circumstance and says, well, I don't really know what to do with that. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a God that looks to hopeless situations and takes an unending fountain of hope and begins to pour it inside of you. If you're thankful for that, give the Lord a big round of applause in this place. Pretty incredible. The fourth thing is, is that the manger was glorious. The, the very next two verses say glory to God in the highest. In other words, when you find him, it's a glorious and great day. Do you remember where God found you? Some of you need to remember where he found you. You start smiling a little more, right? Start remembering where God found you. As Christians, the longer that we walk with Jesus, if we're not careful, we'll forget where he found us, and that will be a source of us not living in the joy that we're supposed to live in. You know, joy is a choice. It's not a circumstance. And if we'll remember where he found us, what he's took us from, what he's cleaned us up from, we're going to have a lot more compassion on ourselves and a lot more compassion on other people. Fifth is this, the manger is a way of discipleship. Where he goes, we go. 
So that if Jesus ran to the messy, don't you think as Christians we should run to the messy too? Come on, somebody. There should never be someone in the church that we look at and go, oh, they're too messy for God. No, the, the example that we have in Jesus is that the manger is messy, and that's the first stop on the journey that he made. And so if, if the manger is messy, then we should know starting day one as a Christian that our heart changes, our atmosphere and our life changes, that we don't run from the mess, we run to the mess. Thank you. I'm going to try this morning. I'm going to do my best, all right? And sometimes I preach a lot better than you guys say amen, but I forgive you, all right? The manger, though, number six, is step one. He did it just for us, and it was a long journey uh, towards that cross for him. And I'm thankful that oftentimes a picture that we have of Jesus on a cross, if we're not careful, is an incomplete one. I'm thankful for the cross. If it wasn't for the blood that was shed, um, we would be in trouble. But if he stopped there, the gospel wouldn't have the life-changing power that it's supposed to have. It's that he conquered the, the cross and he conquered the grave so that we could have hope in a hopeless world. So we serve, a, we serve a savior that didn't just half do it. Man, he totally did it. They uncovered a manger in Megiddo during Ahab's reign. If you look in archaeological evidence, a manger was surrounded by hitching posts made not from wood, but from stone. The picture that we get of, of when we view a manger is a wood barn with a wood manger in a wooded place like Grants Pass. Because if we're not careful, we'll view what Jesus walked through through the lens of what we've walked through, and we will do some really horrible things doctrinally or theologically. But if you will do any study, a manger, uh, most Bible archaeologists will say, was actually surrounded by hitching posts that were made of stone, and the manger, their best guess, or the one that they have, had, have uncovered in Megiddo, was a cave-like structure. And so what you have to know about the manger is that he was born into a cave-like manger to end up in a cave-like tomb to conquer the cave so that you don't have to live in one. What a beautiful picture that is. Come on, somebody. What a beautiful picture that was. It reminds me of Psalms 142.4 of when David wrote. And I love the, the parentheses that if you read in Scripture, it says, when he was in the cave, David wrote this. He said, look to the right and see, there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me, for no one cares for my soul. So if, if King David found himself, a, a man after God's own heart, found himself at a time in his life where he felt like he was alone and people didn't see him or people didn't know of him and he was crying out in the cave. If, if David saw himself in a cave, how many know that it's probably a pretty good chance that everybody at one point in their life is going to feel like that they're in a cave? His echo, when he was crying out loud, returned to him and said, no one cares for me. And it's in the echo of that pain in our world that can be deafening. It reminds me of the pain of Isaiah's generation. Isaiah 1 and 6 describes a generation of hurt. And here's what it says. For the, from the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it, but there are wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed nor bound up, neither fixed with ointment. 
So we're not the first generation or the first time in history where Jesus has encountered what seems like to be from the outside a hopeless situation. There have been generations that have come through the world in the history of the world where if you're not careful, you will look you will look to the places of sickness and say that's where they're always going to be. But I'm thankful that Jesus came in a manger, in a cave-like structure, to free the world and heal the world of the hurts and the pains that would keep them hitched to a cave-like situation. We are living in a world that hears the echo of the cave, especially around the Christmas season. There are people that will cry out and they'll say, no one cares for me. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in a cave and what comes out of your mouth, the echo in that cave will agree and it will be a vicious cycle of victimhood when you were never created to be a victim, but you were created to be a victor. But I'm thankful that there is an echo if you will listen and the echo is Jesus speaking to you that I can set you free from that cave. Matthew 9 and 36, the Bible says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. We have to be careful as Christians that when we look at our world, we don't get angry and upset because of the, of the hurts that are happening in our world. We can do that. We can look to the politics that divide us. We can look to the evil that's in our world and rather draw from the compassion of Christ we can draw from a place of judgment and saying that they deserve it. The truth is, is that we all deserve it. But for the grace and mercy of God. And so when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion. So in other words, when Jesus interacted with the crowds, his heart broke. But when Jesus interacted with individuals, their chains broke. Compassion leads to chains breaking over your life. And what I wanted to do this second Sunday in December is to look our church in the eyes, our people, if you're visiting here today, and saying that you don't have to live in the cave anymore. The depression and the anxiety and the thoughts of suicide and the thoughts of being lessened that have guarded your life like a cave to where you've been in perpetual victimhood of your whole life, you have to know that when Jesus conquered the cave or the tomb, he did so so that you didn't have to live in yours. So Jesus, we know this morning, saw the caves, and newsflash, he still, still sees the caves. This morning, he knows exactly where you're at today. He knows, exa he, he, he knows and he sees you this morning. And there's three caves this morning that try to stop you. The first is the cave of your own decisions. I'm not going to ask by a raise of hands how many people here have made a stupid decision. All right, we've got some honest people in the room. I'll do this right here. I've made some decisions that I wish if I had all the money in the world, I can buy them back, but I can't buy them back. And we know that oftentimes in the church world, especially we can blame the enemy or the church for the caves that we're living in out of our own choosing. And we got to be careful that we don't, we don't blame someone else for the responsibilities of the caves that we're living in, knowing that, hey, some of our own choices have made them. And so the caves of our own decisions, the second kind of cave we can live in is the cave of other people's decisions. That's a real thing. How many of us in this room are still trying to deal with hurts from when we were a child in our childhood and we're trying to process those things, but if you're not careful, they will become an excuse to hand off generational bondages when you already have the reason to say, I don't have to hand those things off to my children anymore. Yeah. 
They can become a powerful testimony. But it is true. And we're going to hear of a story today of of, of stories today all throughout this week of how sometimes the cave of other people's decisions have caused us to live in our own cave. The third kind of cave is the cave of circumstance. And that kind of cave, if you're not careful, will bring crazy kinds of confusion. Why did it happen to me? If God loved me, why did this have to happen? And if you're not careful, deep in those caves, you will find a companion that will agree with your victimhood that will make you feel good and it will become your identity when, listen to me, Jesus didn't die so that you can agree to live in the cave. He died so that you can get out of the cave because free people in the end, free people. And so those wounds that we have, we've got to be careful. Here's what Proverbs 13 and 12 says. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it becomes the tree of life. What I've been praying for specifically this morning is that a desire would spark in your heart as you begin to hear this story of hope that if, he can, if God can do it for him, then maybe he can do it for me. That spark that gets lit in the sight of who you are as a person, it comes from the Holy Spirit telling you that you don't have to live underneath the consequences of the cave any longer, that you can be free. I'm thankful that we, we live and serve a God that wants us to be free. We got to be careful of this morning as Christians. Acts chapter 18 says the most dangerous kind of cave that we can live in is the cave of almost. You almost persuaded me. So many Christians come to the front step of being free and they stop because they identify with their victimhood a lot more than they do the victory found in Jesus. There are a lot of people in the church, and I'm, I'm one included, there's areas in my life today where I know the Lord wants me to prosper and live in a better place, but if I'm not careful, I will stop at the almost rather than the full victory that's found in Jesus. And so this morning, you're going to hear a powerful story, a story of our Savior that's founded in hope. Donnie Moore was an incredible man and is an incredible influence in my life currently. There's not a, a day or a week that goes by where I don't think about the impact that he's made uh, and the honor and privilege of being able to be a pastor to his son, DJ, who just moved here uh, two short months ago to join our church and help us reach as many young people as we can. And he'll tell you why he's here in a few moments. Uh, but I wanted to brag on, on Donnie just for a few moments and show a wonderful clip so you guys can get just a picture of your mind, what, what a dynamic man that he was and is and the influence that he's had. But DJ is going to talk to you about the, the last five years of his life of unexpectedly losing a loved one and what that has meant, how the Christmas season has changed, how the holidays have changed, how his life has changed. When you have those anchors that are in your life that um, for no fault of your own, they, they pass away and they, they go to heaven. What, what is it that you're supposed to do and how did he uh, find himself at a place of hope and being able to dream about the future? And so this is actually a two-minute video, really cool video of when he went and spoke. Donnie spoke at um, the US, United States men's soccer team uh, as they were getting ready for the World Cup. He was a motivational speaker chaplain for the Oakland A's. But I want to be clear, this story is less about Donnie, and it's more about DJ teaching us today from his own experience of what it's like to pick yourself up by the bootstraps with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to forge ahead when you feel like you found yourself in a cave. Direct your eyes to the screens for just a clip on the great man that Donnie Moore was. 
something that's really been challenging me later, and that's the opportunity, which I love more and more, is to speak to athletes. And I just wanted to start out and say what an honor it is for me to be able to come and share some thoughts with you. I'm going to do some feats of strength. I really believe I have a message that is a message every one of you is going to get something out of today. If you don't have a target, if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a vision, you're going to go nowhere in life. If you don't have a goal and a dream, someone else is going to use you to reach their goals and dreams. I think his words were very powerful and I think everyone really appreciated it and took a lot from, from his speech. Yeah, I think there are a few quotes that stood out to everyone and everyone took a little bit, little bit of something from it and I think it was definitely very beneficial. I'm going to try to roll this up like a burrito. <sighs> Give me a little encouragement. Yeah. You know, he was definitely something special. I've never uh, had a talk like that, you know, where they do uh, kind of those little cool strength examples. But uh, it was an experience. It was a lot of fun. Two phone books back to back. I'm going to rip both these. Less than 10 seconds. I'm still trying to figure out how he did all that, especially with the with the phone, with the phone books, and it was it was pretty crazy, but really special, and it's uh, a testament to how he trains and how he believes himself. It's pretty awesome. You got to decide what you want, and you got to pay the price to get there. If you're gonna win, you got to have a vision to win, and the second thing you got to have is you got to believe you can win. I just think you know, you know, you always want to believe in yourself. You want to believe in in something, and I think. He just further implanted that in all of us, and I think uh, going forward, it's something that we have to look at a little bit more, you know, having that belief to do something special. And when you have that, you never know. Because whatever your mind can conceive, your heart believe, you can achieve. Good morning. Good Check, 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 check. Good morning. Good morning. I just want you Hello. to know that if, uh, uh, for those of you that are here, if you are a youth student, uh, at Donnie Moore's camps and seeing him rip those phone books, you get a little intimidated, I'm not going to lie. I was at a handful of his camps, but also being able to go run up to the front and try to grab his frying pans and have him sign it afterwards because it was the coolest thing of all time. Uh, but my goodness, Donnie Moore, what, a, what an inspiration he was to so many. I'm here with my good friend, uh, and uh, just to be able to brag on him for a I'm quick I'm going to let you guys know right now, I will not be doing any of what you just saw. <laughs> I got my mother's bone structure, my dad's eyebrows, so... Dad's eyebrows, mom's bone structure. You know, I, I think that's a win-win scenario. But uh, <laughs> this man right here um, is a really good friend of mine. I've uh, been able to, to walk through um, a handful of seasons with this, this uh, young man. And to be able to uh, call him a, a really good dear friend of mine is, is something that, uh, that I cherish. And so to be able to, to officially launch into this and to be able to have him be able to share, you're not going to be able to hear from me too much today. We're going to uh, pose some questions for DJ to be able to talk about where he found himself. But DJ, before before we get into the meat and potatoes of this message, can you yeah. just kind of share about yourself, your wife, yeah, why are you here, how, how do you find yourself in Grants Pass? Let me give you some context very briefly about what you just saw. Uh, we had a video, my dad was an uh, evangelist. He, he traveled around all of California, uh, most of the United States. He did school assemblies for the youth. He ran youth camps. He also spoke to the Oakland A's. He was their chaplain for 30 years. He also did... Uh, Madness, as you can see, motivational <laughs> speaking for sports teams. So he was a very dynamic uh, guy, and, and he would go and he would motivate these teams. And then oftentimes afterwards, 
uh, you know, when the, when the cameras were off. He wouldn't go there with the purpose of preaching the gospel, but who knows that we carry the gospel in us. And then he, he'd have opportunities to minister to these athletes, pray for them. Um, it was amazing at my dad's funeral, there was actually a lot of former Oakland A's baseball players that came who had been ministered by my father. But I thought I'd explain the context there because you're like, if you were expecting to see a guy preaching in a church and you saw a guy in a jumpsuit Who ripping things. yelling on the screen? It could be yeah. a tad confusing. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, my, my name's DJ. My beautiful wife is there. You saw her singing. Ashlyn, stand up. Show everyone. Give her a wave. She's the best. She's an incredible singer. She's a much better singer than me. I am a mediocre singer, but I am a great creed impressionist. And I won't do that here for you now. Um, maybe I will. We'll see where the, the night goes. Um... My wife and I moved here two months ago. Uh, long story short, we, uh, we felt, after we got married, we just felt like, I don't know what it was, a, a stirring. The Lord does that in your life sometimes. Uh, like, you feel like just a change is coming, and we didn't know what that meant. We didn't know what it looked like, and so we got together, and we were praying about it, and, and we didn't even have a direction, but we just felt like God was doing something in our lives, and um, we came up here, and we were visiting as I'm sure uh, a lot of you have seen, a lot of Vacavillians come up here and, and visit. I think that's not new to Parkway. I think every week it's like, hey, someone from Vacaville's here. I go like, ah, right, cool. Um, but we came up here, we genuinely just came up to visit and see our friends. And uh, on the way back, I had just kind of felt my spirit. I was like, man, I, I feel like maybe Parkway's where the Lord's calling us. But I didn't say that uh, to Ashton. I just kind of kept that in my spirit and I said, Lord, if Parkway is where we're supposed to go, uh, would you speak that to my wife where she feels that in her spirit? Um, part of that is because, well, one, it's a good strategy, so I'm not dragging her up here. But number two, because I know my wife hears from the Lord just as much as I do. And so uh, a couple weeks went by, and so I just felt in my spirit like Parkway was where the Lord wanted us. Uh, and then she came to me two, three weeks later and said, I was, I'll summarize it because it's her story to tell, but she said, I was on stage at church singing, and I felt like the Lord deposited something in my spirit that we were supposed to go to Grants Pass. Completely separate. I hadn't even talked to her about it. And then I told her what I felt, and it was like there was confirmation. So it's incredible how the Lord does that. And um, we just began the process. I, I won't monologue about it too long, but uh, we felt like we needed to move. So we set a date before we had anything uh, lined up. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but it's what we did. We had a long conversation about if we're going to do this. You know, we went back and forth. We were like, you know, our, our family is in California. We spent our whole lives in California. Our church that I had been out for eight, uh, eight to nine years, she grew up there that we loved. We love uh, Pastor Dave and Patty. And so taking this big leaf was a struggle, but I'll never forget. She looked at me and she said, we know what the Lord put on our hearts. And if we do something opposite than that, we'll always know that we did the opposite of what the Lord put on our hearts. And so we said, all right, we've got to take the leap. So we said, end of September, why not? That'll be the end date. And we just trusted that the Lord was going to get us here. And um, throughout that process, I, she couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a job. We're getting closer to the end of September. And we're going, man, I, but the Lord said, if I, if I remember correctly, she said that the Lord gave her this word, you will not regret it. And so we kept remembering that. We won't regret it. We will not regret this move. Even though I can't find a job and she can't find a job and we don't know where we're going to live. And maybe I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know what I'm going to do. We won't regret it. And that's what the Lord called us. So we just, we kept pursuing and, and, and doing our diligence of trying to, to get everything lined up on the natural side. Uh, sure enough, Pastor Jay kept telling me, you got to come down here and, and, and try to find jobs in person because it's, it's very difficult online. So I came down here. Sure enough, when I came down to visit, 
Uh, we got some housing lined up. Crystal was so nice to say that she would rent out her Airbnb to us. And then I found a job. So I was like, boom, got a job. Then just a, a, a couple days later, Ashton found a job. So now we got jobs. We're a couple weeks out. We got jobs. We got a place to live. And we were ready to just come up here and, and live out of the Airbnb and, and get all of our stuff out of a storage unit as needed uh, until we could find more permanent housing. And then all of a sudden, we are the day before the move. So we're ready to take the leap. And then all of a sudden, um, actually, we're a couple of days before, sorry, uh, we, we, we applied to some houses, which we've applied to a million houses. We got shut down on all of them. I, I don't know if you guys like Californians. Don't worry, we only bring our politics. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just joking. Don't hate me. I'm kidding. Uh, uh, so we, we couldn't find any housing. It's, uh, we kept just getting denied. And so we applied Tuesday night, just kind of threw it out there. Hey, this is a, a nice little three-bedroom, two-bath place to rent, a lot bigger than our dinky apartment in California, uh, a lot cheaper too. Uh, and it was incredible. The lady reached out to us and said, hey, you guys are from Vacaville? Uh, my sister's from Vacaville. We own the Dutch Bros down in Vacaville. And so what a connection that is, God lining things up. So we applied, but we, we didn't have our hopes too high because you, you never know. And all of a sudden, Friday night, the day before the move, she gives us a call and says, you guys got applied for the house. You can move in tomorrow. I'll meet you there and give you the keys. And so it was incredible. It's a very short, compressed version, but there were some stresses along the way of, I mean, at a certain point, both of our jobs knew we were moving before we had jobs lined up. I do not recommend that, but it was a bit stressful. But sure enough, God connected the dots, place to live, um, got us jobs, and now we're, we're down here. And we're so excited to be here. I haven't had the privilege of meeting all you guys. We've spent a lot of the time with the youth because we've done a lot of youth ministry uh, back at Harvest with, with Pastor Brooke and Jay. Uh, that's really where our heart is. And if there's anything I can say as to why we moved down here, it's just to help Parkway uh, just reach this community. We, we love people. We love young people. Um, I'm working right now for uh, Cliff Woodruff. And I work with Terry. Me and Terry have a good time. And uh, me and Terry, uh, we're doing a demo job out in Medford. And we're demoing this old house. And when we went into the house, you could tell it was a rough situation. Uh, I don't know the details, but it, it, there was an eviction. It was a whole mess. So we're demoing out this really, uh, really run-down house. And you could tell that, oh, there were some kids who had lived there. And, you know, that was kind of breaking my heart. I think, man, it's so sad that some, some young people had to live in really tough circumstances. And it was interesting as we started to take some of the uh, door jams out. I'm going somewhere with this. I took the door jams out in one of the kids' bedrooms. Someone said, hey, we found note cards tucked behind the door jams that this young lady had written on, and it was her diary. And we got a window into what her life was like in that home, and it was not good. It was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of I wish I wasn't alive, a lot of my dad's bad to me, things like that. You can get the picture. And I was standing here in that house, and I just, my heart broke, and it was signed 2010, and I thought, man, I just wish, I wish someone would have knocked on that door and just pulled that young lady out of there and said, there's a church that loves you, there's a God that loves you, and you don't have to live in these circumstances, you don't have to let this be your identity, give her some hope, what we're talking about today, hope, and it just broke my heart, and I said a prayer for her, I don't know where she's at, but... I don't say that to be a bummer or to give any credence to the enemy. I say that to say that's why we're here. And that's why I know you guys, we're all here to help people like that, young people like that, adults like that, that are living in, in bondage of the enemy. And they just need Jesus. And so that's, that's why me and my wife are here. So 
Yeah, so now that you've heard some context about DJ and Ashlyn, kind of what, what they've been a part of with Pastor Jason's ministry, and then also being able to serve at their, their church and why they're here, um, we're going to be able to go into, and, and again, I, I want to preface it by saying this, that this is roughly about five years of, uh, of a story uh, of DJ and his walk. Um, and to be able to try to get this all into one small little snippet is going to be a little difficult, but please do me a huge favor. Um, Please listen in. Um, I, for those of you that are inside this room, there might be an opportunity at the end of the service today where you say, hey, I might, I might be in one of those caves. I might be in those caves right now, and DJ is going to be able to share just some practical ways about how to be able to get out of those. But DJ, if you don't mind, just being able to share your story, again, as, as best as you can within the, the next few moments of just what you went through, kind yeah. of what that process was like, and, and just kind of share a little bit. Um, excuse me if I'm fidgety. I mean, typically, I pace around quite a bit. So getting seated, you might see my foot tapping a lot. Uh, yeah, our, uh, our story, my wife and I's story, and, and my story and my family. Um, I want to start by saying um, I'm not sitting up here as a victim. I'm not sitting up here as the sad boy. Everyone feel bad for DJ. He had a tough time. I know a lot of people have tough times. I'm just here to say that um, five years ago, I was in a real dark place in subsequent years, and I'm not up here as any kind of perfection. I'm up here to say that Jesus is hope, and Jesus can bring us out of any circumstance that you're in. I don't know what you're going through right now, but my hope is not in me or in anything else. My hope is found in Christ, and so my hope is that you'll look to him today, not to me, not to DJ, not to Chase, not to Pastor Jay. We're looking to him today, so... Yeah, my, my dad was an uh, evangelist, not to um, sp speak completely about him, but it, it adds context to the story. My dad was an evangelist, and our whole life was just um, really built around his ministry in a very positive way uh, with the youth camps, and the, I had the privilege to travel around a lot with him and do school assemblies, um, see people that were in hurting situations, see them be delivered, um, just a, a really blessed uh, childhood to grow up in. Um, on the other side of that, my father also struggled with uh, clinical depression. And one of the incredible things about that is that's a great testament that it doesn't matter what you deal with on a personal level, whatever your circumstance, whatever the enemy tries to put on you, you can still do incredible things for God. Those labels, they don't matter. But that was something that my, my father struggled with. Um, and in 2008, he struggled real bad, but... Uh, through some doctors and this and that, uh, he didn't struggle with it for 10 years after. He was uh, healed on one aspect of it. Also, they had him on proper uh, medication and stuff to help him that he eventually weaned off of. And then um, he, didn't, he didn't battle with that. And so that was just a huge blessing. And he always, even going through that, was just such a prolific speaker and, and always a minister of the gospel. The very, and again, we're, I'm trying to be concise, I'm not trying to bore you either I, I, with details and such, but my, my family was going through a tough time um, in 2016-17 frame, uh, time frame. There were some people, very con just to sum it up, there were some people that were going after my father's ministry. Um, and they were going after him and they had some ill intent. And that was a big stress on my family. It was a big stress on my father. On top of that, Around that time frame, because of that, his depression came back, and he started struggling again. And it, it, there's also there's a lot going on there. And my dad was struggling. My dad was having a hard time, and it was hard to see him. You saw that guy up there. I never saw my dad in a moment of weakness. He was a strong man. Even when he struggled in 08, he was strong. He, he held, my mom and I talk about this all the time. He loved the Lord. He loved to spend time with the Lord. I would go out in, in his weight room, 
and he would just be on his face praying. And that was his strength. But in this season, he was just struggling, as we all do. And in order to help him, the doctors prescribed him some other medication. He had some stuff going on with his heart. And so he couldn't use any of the stuff that had helped him in the past. And you've seen ads, and they say, uh, this medication may give you suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Well, that's what happened. And my father, when they gave him that stuff, it was hard. And it made it worse. And the strong man that I knew uh, was struggling bad. And uh, I just remember praying for my dad. And remember, I grew up in a Christian home. I watched my dad do, not my dad, but through my dad, the Holy Spirit used him to do incredible things, to see people healed, to see. I, I witnessed some incredible things. And I just always, I heard these testimonies, but I would never thought that I would be this testimony. I just thought, it's all going to work out. I grew up listening to wonderful stories like Brooks Motherman and stories of healing. And, and uh, I got a call from my mom. It was funny. I, I, not funny. I was sick. And so I called in sick for work. And so I overslept, obviously, because I wasn't feeling well. And I woke up, and there was uh, a lot of missed calls from my family. And I just knew uh, something was wrong. So I, I called my mom. And uh, <clears throat> I called my mom, and she said, she said, your father took his life last night. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And uh, I don't say this to, to try to be exploitive and to, to make everyone feel a certain type of way, but that's just what happened. And I just couldn't believe that that had happened. And that began a many-year journey of just hurt and chaos and uh, a lot of pain and after my after I had gotten that call obviously you know went down saw the family and 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 we started to walk through this journey um I I dealt with so much in that season after my father's suicide things like depression things like anxiety one of the hardest things was after that, maybe a year or so, maybe a couple of months, honestly, I get the time frames mixed up. That's when it really started to hit my family. My dad was the, was the centerpiece of our family and of many people's lives. And his ministry, it was like an ecosystem around it with all the things that he had his hand in. And all of it was falling apart. And sometimes when you're in seasons like that, you know, the camps he did, I grew up at those camps. They had to go away. The Oakland A's ministry that he did, gone. The school assemblies that I grew up, those were no longer. And it was almost like, and now this isn't what was happening, but when you're grieving, the enemy can get in there and twist things. And I felt like the enemy was winning. I felt like the enemy killed my father, took away his ministry, and started to tear my family apart because my family started to turn on each other. And then we started to turn on each other, and there was distance, and there was anger. So now I'm walking through this journey where I felt like, man, why, God? Why am I having to deal with this? Why is this happening to me? And I was just confused. Um, and that's the cave that I found myself in for the next 
four or five years where it was real bad. Um, and that was the cave. So finding yourself in that cave, DJ, again, not to focus on, on you being in that cave, but also being able to focus on how, how you got out. I know you just talked mm -hmm. about your, your, some of your biggest struggles, and we already mentioned those, whether it's that anxiety, that depression, that confusion that came throughout that season. But if you were to just give um, you know, a, couple, a couple of bits of info, again, and, and as DJ shares, this isn't going to be uh, maybe your specific advice that you're supposed to take. You know, DJ's not giving uh, specific professional advice here for each and every scenario in this room, but I do want to be able to uh, just have him be able to share about what are some, some practical ways and, and how did he find himself that was once in that cave? What was that transition like out of it? You know, what, what are some practical ways that you, we can be able to give, you know, the church to say, hey, th these are some ways that, I, that you can possibly see yourself out as well. It was a long road. Um, and I, I don't sit up here as some beacon of perfection, I still miss my dad. Every Father's Day, I get a knot in my stomach. But um, and, and during the holiday season, maybe some of you guys who have lost family, I get it. I understand. Uh, but now is a lot different than what it was back then. I'll tell you the number one thing. See, when I joined the internship in 2015 after I graduated, I was at a crossroads. I didn't know if I wanted to pursue ministry um, I knew, not for any hurt or anything, I loved ministry, but I didn't know if that was for me. I was going to go to college. But I had a powerful moment at an altar where Pastor Jay told me, just say yes. And so I said yes, and I joined the internship. And I'll tell you right now, that was the biggest decision I'd ever made in my life because God knew. God knew what was going to happen with my family. God knew that I was going to lose my father. And he put me in a situation to where I still had to endure some things, but I was surrounded by a good church and good people. I'm telling you, not only did I meet my wife at that internship, but I was surrounded. I could not, I mean this, I could not have gotten through what I got through if it wasn't for the people I surrounded myself with. I'm so blessed. I had people like Steve and Stacy and Brooke and PJ, and Pastor Dave and Patty, who I lived with at the time, and my wife, and my in-laws, because my family was falling apart, and I was hurt, and I still served in ministry. We still were the junior high pastors, but while I was doing that, I was just dealing with anger and bitterness, and those friends of mine, those mentors of mine, Chase and Leanna, I can't leave them out, they, they would come up alongside me and they would help carry me when I couldn't. They would speak life into me when I couldn't. If you're in this room and you think you can do it alone, the isolation is the devil's playground. He loves when you're isolated. He loves when you're trying to handle it on your own. He loves when you say, oh, I can do it or I'm going to, because listen, I, was, I would be in rooms and I would feel alone in the room, but I still had to be there because if I just went on my own and tried to handle it myself, I, that's where the enemy would just hammer me. And I was so blessed that I had people around me to help carry me through that season. So if you're, if you're in this room, I would encourage you. I would more than encourage you. I would tell you right now, you got to get some people in your life that are going to not only be there for you with a soft hand in your grief, but are going to help you not to fall into victimhood. And we'll get to that a little bit later but I was so blessed to have people around me because God knew I needed to be in that internship and in Vacaville at that time of my life. So there was that aspect of it. The second thing that just would, it was the word. I would find myself having to go to the word and just read it. 
It is life. It doesn't always, I know it, 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 maybe people that don't spend time in their word, it just seems like a book. It's not. It is a living word. And guess what? It didn't, I didn't always feel, I didn't, I wouldn't read the word and feel great all the time, but it would deposit life into my spirit. I would, I have, I made this, I've had this for now five years. I called it my daily verses. And it's fun because I can look back and see where I was in those years. And I would just fill it with verses and every day I'd read them. And I didn't even always want to read it, but I forced myself. It starts off with this, Matthew, come to, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, when you're grieving and you're dealing with all this stuff, you can't always hear the Lord. But you know where I can hear the Lord? I'm holding up my iPad, but his word. These are his words. And I would go and I would just hear from the Lord how he was with me, how he wouldn't forsake me, how he'd comfort me through my anxiety. He would comfort me through my depression. And he would help me with forgiveness. People, I was so angry and so bitter. When they talk about, Pastor Jay talks about the caves. I had all three at a certain point. I had the circumstances of people that had hurt my father. And then I had the circumstance of my father taking his own life. That, that weighed on me. And then at the end, I started struggling in my own decisions. And I was in these caves. And I was angry and I was bitter. But I would go to the Word. And what does the Word say? It says, forgive lest you be forgiven. I would read that and I would say, wow, it's harsh. And it sounds harsh because us as people, we just think, you know, loyalty is a big word. You got to stay loyal and you got to fight for this and you got to, you got to, and it's almost like righteous indignation you hear a lot. Like you would hear these phrases as an excuse to stay angry and bitter towards people. But bitterness is a poison. It is, it will kill you. You might think you're bitter for the right reason. You might think you're angry for the right reason. You might have been hurt in this room and think, I have every right to be upset with that person. I have every right. And you might have a right in the natural. You might be correct. But you can't live with it, and it's not right based on the Word of God. You have to give that thing to the Lord and allow Him to work in your life. Because when I say you forgive so that God will forgive us, basically what I took out of that, and I'm no expert, but what I took out of it was, why would God, why would I ask God to forgive me of every dirty, rotten, nasty thing I've ever done or thought? But I won't extend that forgiveness to others. So I hold God to a higher standard than I will hold myself. God forgive me, but I won't forgive others. And that's not how it works. And I'm not yelling out of anger. I'm yelling out of passion because I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. It will kill you. I watched people in my life that were angry for the right reasons, and then all of a sudden it came full circle where there was anger towards the people they love. So it, it, it's like a wildfire. The enemy's going to use it, and he's going to sow discord amongst the brother with it. I'm just, I'm not trying to get, forgive. You got to forgive. So that's what I was dealing with. I was dealing with, with dealing with forgiveness and going to my word, and it was helping me walk through that process. What does it look like to forgive? What does it look like to say that these people may have done me wrong or this situation? You know, forgiving doesn't mean that what was done to you was right. It means that I'm not going to hold on to it any longer. I'm not going to allow it to plague my spirit. I'm going to give that to God. 
that answers your question. I, know, I can start. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, if I start you going can, rogue. No, uh, it, wonderful, wonderful. And and again, I, I know that you've mentioned too. You've got one more point uh, coming up yeah. um, to officially conclude us. But if the band can be able to come back yeah. up, and if you guys can just do me a huge favor, can you stand all across your feet, all across this, on your feet, all across this room? DJ is getting ready to to lead us into this last point. But I want you guys to know to be able to grasp onto this. And DJ is going to get us to a point where he's going to be able to offer those that might be finding themselves in a cave to say, hey, I, I need to get out. And for those of you that are saying, hey, maybe it's just that sense of community. I need to be able to apply that right now. Maybe for those of you in this room where it says, hey, I need to be able to go dive into my word more. Maybe even this third point that DJ is about to bring up. I just encourage you to be able to, to lean into this moment, would you? We've got roughly about five to six more minutes here, but do not allow yourself to find yourself out of this cave walking out of this building this morning. Yes. Just listen Listen as DJ gets ready to, to complete this thought that he has and, and to, to watch us be able to, to hopefully be able to be walking out of here with some hope rather than the latter. So here's where I found myself. And I, I forgive me, I, I haven't really shared publicly my, my testimony or kind of what I walked through in a while. So I'm a tad scatterbrained but I'm, I'm gonna try to bring it home here. Here's where I found myself. I found myself for a couple of years. I was hurting, I was angry, I was depressed. A lot of it was internal. A lot of it, I didn't show a lot of people except for certain, and it was just a struggle. And I was so blessed to have wonderful people surround me and help carry me. But the problem is, the problem, you know, every, everything good also has a flip side to the coin. And the good thing about having people surround you and carry you is that they're there for you. The problem is over time, you start to rely on other people to do everything as far as bring you to the Lord. I relied on the people in my life to bring me to God, to help me make right decisions. I wasn't standing on my own two feet. I started, and very subtly, I started to become a victim. I started to let my father's death, my father's suicide, my family discord that was just killing me, I allowed it to become an identity for me. And it got to a place where the people that loved me still loved me, but I started after one year, two years, three years, around that 2020, 2021, you all remember that? COVID was something we heard of. Around that time frame, I was just tired and I was struggling. And I thought, you know, it's, I was in my word, and but after a while it started to, I started to pull back and I just started, I just started slipping. I started slipping, I started struggling. I wasn't in my word as much as I should be and I just relied on Steve, some other men and, and my in-laws and Pastor Jay and these wonderful people in my life. They, they started to become God for me. I wasn't going to the Lord, I was just, I don't know, I was a mess. And at that time, Aslan and I had uh, actually broken up for a short period of time. And I was just lost, I was just like, I found myself to where I had just kind of become this person that I didn't think I would be. And I thought I was doing well, but slowly but surely, I just started to kind of go off the path. And long story short, I, I, I came home one night and um, Ashlyn had brought a bunch of the stuff uh, that I'd given her over the years of dating, you know, that kind of thing, a box of my stuff and, and left it in, in my room. And I came home one night and all of the stuff was in my room. And I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I. I have not heard the audible voice of God a whole lot in my life. I felt things. I felt, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you right now, as sure as I'm standing here, this is one of the few times I have heard the voice of the Lord. And he said two things to me. I just looked and I thought, 
all the stuff there and, and I don't have Ashlyn because I was being stupid all these people that love me they were giving they were properly saying listen we love you but when are you going to start standing up on your own two feet when are you going to start going to the Lord yourself when are you going to start getting out of this thing we're not meant to stay in a cave life's hard bad things are going to happen but it doesn't mean you got to stay there and enjoy the cave and live in the cave and that's what I was doing I was just living in that cave this is my identity now and so those friends of mine started to rightfully just say hey we can't enable so now I'm sitting in this room I don't have my girlfriend my family struggling and all these people I surrounded myself I don't feel like I have them because of my own decisions and I just looked at that stuff and I felt like God just said to me what are you doing and then the second thing I heard is he said this isn't who you are I swear to you I mean, maybe you shouldn't swear from the pulpit, but I promise you. That better? I promise you. I heard those two phrases, and it was like God showed me this 18-year-old kid who loved his dad and joined the internship and just loved ministry and loved people and just wanted to do great things for God. And then he showed me at 20, someone's 22, 23 at the time, um, a young adult who was angry and was bitter and was starting to slip away from the Lord and was just miserable and I used to lay in bed <laughs> I used to lay in bed and just God just kill me I didn't ever want to take my own life because of what my dad did but I'd say God just let me not wake up I don't even know how to explain how I was that dark I don't even know how I got there but that's where I was God said, this is where you are right now. I didn't feel judgment. I didn't feel condemnation. I felt love of God saying, this isn't you. Look where you are right now. And I felt a shift in my spirit. I'll never forget. I felt a shift that said, we got to get you. It doesn't matter about the people you surround yourself, this and that. You got to make a decision to say, I am going to walk this thing out and get out of this cave. His word gives us hope that you can do it and I'd read those I'd read those passages but I didn't always believe it and I felt in that moment that says I gotta start getting out of this cave or everything will be for naught I'll just be a mess I might as well have gone to college and then just whatever and so from that moment God started to do an incredible work in my life I started spending just time with the Father, driving to work, praying, listening to sermons, listening to, to worship music, just spending time with the Father. Did it mean that I didn't feel sad sometimes? By no means. There's still moments of struggle, but I felt like God was close to me. I felt His arms around me. I felt Him walking me out of this place of pain, this place of depression, this place of grief. And I didn't always understand it. And on the flip side, my family started to reunite. My family, my sister, Anna, who I love dearly, she asked me to officiate her wedding coming up. She just got engaged. I never would have thought that three, four years ago. My sisters and I have a wonderful relationship. My mom and I, have a, my mom just got remarried to a man that loves the Lord, and I feel restoration in our family. 
I came down for Thanksgiving, we all sat around and we laughed and we joked. And there was love in the room. And I felt the presence of the Lord. He restored a family that was so hurting and so broken. And we still miss my father. But God, it says in Psalms 124, David opens the passage by saying, If it had not been for the Lord, if it had not been for the Lord, long story short, God walked me out of that season. Ash and I got back together. We got engaged, happily married. Uh, she's just the absolute best. God brought me such a blessing. I say all that to say this. Forgive me if it was all over the place, but I say this. If you're here right now and you don't have any hope, if you feel like my family situation's in chaos, I can tell you firsthand, God can restore a family that's hurting and broken. He can do it. It took time. It took time. It wasn't always easy, but, it, but God can do it. He can do it. If you're sitting here and you're struggling with depression and anxiety, God can bring you out of that in Jesus' name. If you're struggling with a spirit of suicide, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. We rebuke that spirit. And if you find yourself hurting in chaos in this holiday season, there is a hope found in Jesus. There is a hope found in Jesus. You do not have to live in the cave that you're in. And I want to just say, if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here in this room right now and you're saying, DJ, I feel like I'm, I relate to some of what you're talking. It doesn't have to be everything. Maybe the story is different, but we know hurt. We know pain. We know chaos. The things that the enemy throws our way. And you say, I, I want hope. I want the hope that Jesus brings. Maybe you know the Lord. I know the Lord. I still served on the, on the junior high team. It didn't even matter. I was hurting. And you say, I just want that. I want, I want the hope that Jesus brings. We're going to have some people come down to the front here. Uh, some of the prayer team, some of the, the leaders. And if you, in this moment, feel like you want prayer, there's going to be some people down here that are going to spend some time praying for you. But as they're making their way, keep your, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you feel like that's you, would you just slip a hand up? Do you feel like, I'm sure there's some hands, I see them. Thank you. I, this isn't for exploitation, embarrass you. I just know during the holiday season, maybe it's grief. Maybe you lost a loved one and you're hurting. God sees you. God sees every person in this room. And it doesn't even mean you have to, some, some of you are maybe too embarrassed to read your hand. That's okay. God sees you. He loves you. We're going to have a moment, and I'm going to invite you to come down and just, one of our leaders is going to pray with you and just talk with you. And I'll be down here too, and we're just going to pray and just ask that God would be with you in this season, that he would bring you out of this cave, it, the steps that need to be taken. I was reading Peter, one of my favorite verses, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days, we all want to love life and see good days, keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. And I love this right here. This is what I'll close out with. They must turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God's part and our part. We have to seek peace. We have to pursue peace.
we have to go after peace. It's almost like a contradiction. You got to fight for peace, but you do. And if you want to fight for peace, if you want the hope that only Jesus can bring, come down and the band's going to play and we're just going to pray for you.
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Just um, check, 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 check. Just so we're not having a spectator sport, would you stretch up your hands all across this room and just invite the presence of the Lord to come? Our focus is you, Lord. Father, the people that are all across this room that are coming, that are being ministered to, and we want you to know that you're our focus, you're our life. Our church has to learn that in these moments, it's not watching what's happening, it's watching Him. And He will allow us to be a part of incredible things. So I just want you to take this next 60 or 90 seconds as people are getting ministered right now. Lives are being changed right now in Jesus' name. People are walking out of caves, and if it was just for one person today, it was worth it. Brooke, would you lead us? But I just want us to stretch our hands up and begin to worship as a church family. We know that there's many people that feel like, feel, if you feel like you need to be dismissed, you're more than welcome to. But God's doing some incredible things here this morning.